Hello, I'm horror cartoonist Dennis St. John. I draw monsters and write twisted tales. As you can imagine, I was a little obsessed with Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Lucky for me, so were most of my high school friends, all except one. One friend who stubbornly refused to join the Scoobies. So here we are, 20-some-odd years later. I'm teaming up with Doc Travis, John Teach Landis, and maybe a special guest or two. And we're going to make our friend, Michael Poli, watch one episode of Buffy Week until he's no longer the Buffy Virgin. All right. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Buffy Virgin, Season 4, Episode 22, Restless. Or is it all a dream? Uh, This is the season finale that super confuses everybody. When this originally aired, I missed it because I thought the episode previous was the season finale, so I didn't watch the next week. But before we get into this dreamlike tale, let's introduce ourselves. Uh, I'm Dennis. Why doesn't everybody introduce themselves in terms of beard length from longest to shortest? I, I think I currently have the longest beard, although I need to get it, need to get it taken care of. Uh, my name is John Teach Landis. And I'm only going to be here for a minute because I have to meet some girls in the back. I have the medium length beard. I'm Michael the Virgin Poli, and I've only seen up to season four, episode 22 of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. I'm Travis. I'm the most respectable of the group, so I don't have a beard. I'm just kidding. Just kidding, guys. <laughs> no, I'm the super fan. <laughs> All right. Uh, and before we get into the episode again, let's first pause and do reactions. Um, or actually, Trav, you wanted to say something right before the show began. Oh, yes. A bit of sad news, unfortunately. Uh, one of the writers and producers for Buffy the Vampire Slayer did pass away this past week. It was His name is Rob De Hotel or Rob Des Hotel. I'm not sure I'm saying that correctly. Um, but his last name is D-E-S space H-O-T-E-L. And uh, you can look at his credits online, but he worked on a lot of different Hollywood productions and he was very young, unfortunately. He was 52 years old. And he primarily worked in, with season one and season two of Buffy. Um, so not season four, but uh, he did do some very excellent episodes that he wrote. Never Killed Boy in the First Date, The Puppet Show, The Dark Age, Phases, Killed by Death. And he also wrote the story for a Nintendo DS video game um, for Buffy, which is really interesting. Oh. So uh, sad news uh, on the front uh, uh, for Buffy this week. Yeah, thanks for keeping us informed on that, Travis. All right. Uh, yeah, let's move to reactions. Audience reactions. Rich Dingo Actions asks, um, did you recognize that sensual language guy is one of the dudes from Beer Bad? Um, and I had actually said this dude should have been drinking Black Frost, but I didn't actually recognize he was from that episode. Uh, so I looked it up, and he's Brian Cooperill, who is also in an episode of the show Cavemen. That one based on the Geico commercial. Oh. Uh, so Rich is then like, yeah, no Thomas Aquinas at the frat party, I guess. Uh, <laughs> and uh, at Ren and Oz uh, says, what an odd little episode this is. Uh, the shows, not the pods. Uh, so that was all referring to the frat party uh, episode. All right. Uh, let's pretend we have a summary. The summary. Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Season 4, Episode 22, Restless. Adam is vanquished, the initiative is packing it in. Nothing left for the Scooby gang to do for Season 4. Might as well just relax with about 6 hours of VHS goodness. But, 
No sooner does Xander press play than the gang falls fast asleep without even touching the 7-Up punch and the cream sandwich cookies lovingly provided by Joyce. That's right, Buffy is doing a dream episode. Another dream episode. Each of our four mains gets their own dream sequence. Willow's dream is an anxiety classic focusing on her own uncertainty about her identity, and there's a monster who strangles her. Xander's dream focuses on his feelings of inadequacy and directionlessness as he is seduced by nearly every female character on the show, and there's a monster who rips out his heart. Giles's dream reflects his ambivalence towards his fatherhood role in Buffy's life as he runs into the monster-ravaged Willow and de-heartified Xander, just before that same monster catches up with him and removes his brain. Finally, Buffy's dream is a sequel to her earlier bed-making dream which had Faith, but this time starring Tara. There's also Cask of Amontillado Joyce, pre-cyborg Adam, a satchel full of mud, an endless desert, and a monster. But before the monster can make off with Buffy's hands, Buffy figures out the score. The monster is actually the first slayer. You see, she's pretty irritated about the spell that the gang cast last episode. Slayers aren't supposed to draw on the strengths of their friends. They're supposed to stand alone. No friends, only kill. So, a rousing speech and a desert fist fight later, the first Slayer is gone, and the gang awakes. The end. <laughs> uh, now we're going to do some great lines. Great lines. I really enjoyed Riley. I've come looking for a man. A salesman. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent, so excellent version of Death of a Salesman in this episode. Um, so I chose, uh, sometimes I think about two women doing a spell, and then I do a spell by myself. I like that the show is aware of how uh, kind of silly and transparent that is as a metaphor. Yeah. <laughs> I just like that, that that line, Xander spoke that line, but it was in Willow's dream. And why, and dream acting is 10 times worse than real acting, so it's a special <laughs> level of acting. <laughs> and uh, I did write this whole line down. Do you? I don't. I don't know if I can really try it out, but do uh, it. All right. <clears throat> what else can I expect from a bunch of low rent, no account hoodlums like you? Hoodlums, yes. I mean you and your friends, the, your whole sex. Throw them in the sea for all I care, and wait for the bubbles. Men with your groping and spitting, all grown, all growing, no brain. Three billion of you all passing around the same worn out urge. Men with your sails. <laughs> <laughs> well done. I'm no Sarah Michelle Gelly, but but she won't be on our podcast. And uh, I love uh, Giles when he's on the swing with uh, Spike. Put your back into it. Watches do not fear gravity. <laughs> Which is the closest I think I'll ever get to like a Harry Potter inspired, like Giles like saying, like I feel like that could be said in the Harry Potter universe. I love this scene in a school uh, where there's a hole in the wall and Joyce appears in the hole and then... Uh, Buffy says to Joyce, I, I think they might be in danger, you know. And Joyce says, I'm I'm sorry, dear. <laughs> A mouse is playing with my knees. <laughs> <laughs> LOL. That is amazing. The kill count. All right. Uh, so the kill count is empty this week because it was all a dream. Uh <laughs> So let's move to Weird Noticings of Trivia. Weird Noticings. 
I just say there's a like no scene before the opening credits. Uh, really lets you know this episode is going to be different. But yeah, no opening credit. And I just like uh, want to point out that Buffy's had the same cut on her forehead for three episodes now. It's the cut like Adam concussed her with. Uh, so I guess they're trying to say all three of these episodes happen within like a day of each other. Yeah, they haven't slept. Oh, I was going to say painting like some some like magic spell on your girlfriend's back is a definite new direction for the show, it feels like. I mean, the show's never been afraid to show like Buffy in like romantic situations. Obviously, there was that whole frat party thing, but definitely it hadn't really showed like it showed a little bit of intimacy between Tara and Willow. But this is like next level stuff, this episode. Yeah, I like that the show's still not showing them kiss, but it's like pushing the boundaries in other crazy ways. Yeah. Also, this must have come out. I should have found out when the girl with the dragon tattoo in her back came out. No, no. that was much later. That was later than this, but not by my whole lot. I think that the book came out in the early 2000s. But this like kind of has those weird vibes, right? Yeah, I think um, John posted a link that shows the translation for that poem. Oh, good. Yep. Yeah, so the uh, the painting on the back is Greek, and it's actually a poem by the Greek poet Sappho, who uh, is really, really closely associated with uh, lesbian culture now. In fact, the word lesbian comes from the Isle of Lesbos because Sappho was born there. Um, yeah, they're really hitting the nail on the head with like... <laughs> yeah, apparently though, the, the Sappho uh, association with uh, lesbianism is not that real it's kind of a more of a modern but what what is the text of the poem is it oh i can i can read it to you it's like you know please pick up milk at the grocery store and like you know uh i'll read a bit of it probably not all of it but deathless aphrodite on your lavish throne enchantress daughter of zeus i beg you queen do not overpower my soul with heartaches and hard troubles but come here if ever at another time having heard my voice you pay me attention and leaving the golden house of your father, you came to me, yoking your horse and chariot, gorgeous swift, sparrows carried you over the coal black earth, thickly whirling their feathers through the midst of heaven's ether. And it goes on from there. That sounds, that sounds nice. That's a nice thing. That's a nice thing to write on your girlfriend's back. Yeah, it seems very I, sweet. I just, gotta say, I, it just, it was a wow scene for me. I was I'm totally amazed and surprised that the show would do that the lighting was interesting too even it was like though it was like really well lit yeah. as a scene it reminded me of the poster art for great expectations with gwyneth paltrow like just tara's haircut and the back exposure anyway it was just like yeah felt, felt fully in the 90s with that scene it was a big trigger <laughs> it was a 90s trigger but also, like like the lighting is so good also because then they like immediately go from that like soft like lighting to like the really harsh lighting when they open up to the desert light. It's like, I don't know. The show usually doesn't like focus so much on the lighting as it does this episode. Uh, so John, you say- At the moment that Xander puts the first VHS tape into the player, if you freeze frame, you can see some of the tapes that are hanging out in the entertainment center there. And one of them is labeled uh, Scorpions at Budokan 1988. Now I'm gonna assume that what this is, is a, it's a tape of the German heavy metal band, The Scorpions, playing at Budokan, which is misspelled, but is the uh, largest, uh, one of the larger arenas in Tokyo. So this is the heavy metal band, the guys who did uh, Rock You Like a Hurricane performing in Japan. Now the question to me is, who in that household is a Scorpions fan? Who's into 80s heavy metal? Is it Buffy or is it Joyce? Well, I think, 
Buffy is into like uh, like 90s pot rock, right? Yeah, she's obsessed <laughs> with the string cheese incident for some reason. It's like every other shot is the string cheese incident that's in the background. Uh, and when Joyce was a teenager, what was her? She was music? in the Juice Newton, so yeah. that doesn't really square. Maybe she got into heavy metal in the '80s when, like, Buffy was a little kid, and she's uh, rocking the hair metal. I don't know. Yeah, I could see her with like the real like '80s hair. <laughs> maybe it's maybe it's a new boyfriend for Joyce. Oh, we don't know what Joyce has been up to this year. Because, like, other than getting a... kidnapped by Faith gotta say that's a spread out collection of tapes that old, that's like a young man's tape collection the way that thing is set up <laughs> in, the, when Will, in willow's dream back to back to the dreams i guess uh like uh, props to props props got its own shout out uh, i don't know i was very excited that they like spent so much time trying to remember the word props uh, there's such a so many joyful cameos in that scene too yeah Especially oh man, harmony! Yeah, uh, harmony's great. It's so fun. So weird. <laughs> it's, yeah, speaking of like weird cameos, like bringing back Seth Green for like two tiny scenes where he barely talks. Can you believe Jonathan wasn't in that mass like general purpose scene? I mean, <laughs> yeah, he should have been. <laughs> Jonathan wasn't there. I was like, that was his jam. We oh. bring back uh, Armin Shimmerham. Yeah, <laughs> Kurt, Kurt it's, Shimmerham. It's a- I really felt like this episode was missing some Cordelia, though. Like, it really would have brought the high school uh, scenes. Uh, to life yeah. if they could have got, I'm sure there was a reason why they couldn't get her, but, like, it would have been awesome. It would have been nice, yeah. So I don't know if this is the right time to talk about it, but the cheese slices. Uh, so cheese slices are, like, this weird you're-in-a-dream logic. You know, like, hey, you're in a dream now. I don't know why that's the choice, but it was delightfully weird and uh it's it was unexpected enough to wake me up uh into you know out of the dream logic because i think i was following you're following the characters so closely and like oh this is what's really going on in these relationships riley's a cowboy oh he's an idiot i get it (laughs) (laughs) and then like the cheese slices show up and it's like oh this is this is a dream don't even you know stop paying attention right stop with the deep analysis <laughs> and then it's like the cheese is also this weird trigger for the prime the primeval slayer which i'm sure we'll talk about to like kind of like to show up or have a confrontation which is weird i don't know i would love to talk through the dream logic at some point uh so uh john is the russian arc shot the the five sets in under a minute it's in xander's dream and there's one shot that he walks through three different familiar sets and they're all contiguous it starts off with in giles apartment giles yeah, and yeah. then it goes to the college and the the corridor and into Buffy's dorm room, and then he yeah. goes through a hallway, and I think where does it go? In back into and then it ends up in his basement. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's, and it's all and there's a lot of other familiar locations in that scene, but that all is one shot, which yeah. you know maybe I didn't even realize those were necessarily sound stages before, but they obviously must have been if they can do that. Yeah, it really yeah. is a, a fantastic, and it really messes with your sense of space because they're such they're all such familiar spaces to you at this point. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it really does mess with you to have that follow him through that way. So cool. Yeah, it's great. Like, really feels like dream. Also, yeah, right. You know, there's a few moments in this that really like hit the like, oh, this really feels like dreaming. Like when, like Willow is afraid of being old Willow, and like the tearing the costume does that for me. 
the um, watching Apocalypse Now, I feel like this happens in dreams all the time where I'll like uh, do something familiar, by, but my brain can't quite remember it. And so the thing in the dream is the, your best memory of it. And it's really shitty. I feel like yeah. that's a thing that uh, happens in dreams all the time, but I've never seen touched on in media. I really love the, the, the fake memory of Apocalypse Now. No, no, I, I know it's better than this. <laughs> oh, it's all about the journey. Yeah, that was a good one. That I think that's the part that works the best. I mean, that's why we're calling it out. Like, because you're, we especially doing this like podcast and the way we're doing it, like such familiarity with the sets and the show. And like, that felt like if they'd done something like that sooner, I think that would have been, to I would totally worked like transitioning. What? Man, crazy aside to this is like, if you watch this show and then watch another show, every, all edits feel like magical dreams. Like, <laughs> I watched uh, Basil after this randomly, right? season two and like every edit felt like a dream sequence and i'm like i know this show is not a dream but <laughs> making it into a dream sequence and so it's like i think if you were trying to like get yourself triggered watch that sequence or watch this show and then watch the next whatever show and this is how you enter the real life is this a dream kind of state i mean i know editing is magical but this kind of unlocked my brain's perception of editing in a way uh -huh. that like when i watched the next thing it was like oh shit, everything is dreamy and I can't, it's not turning off. Like, yeah, it, it, I, I think there's other reasons for that, but because it's this... like you're really like breaking through with some like concepts of editing that are like beyond even like just watching something like you're, you're in the meat of it, I guess. This puts you into it. Especially like I, my brain was working. I mean, or all of our brains are working overdrive watching this, trying to process it. And then like you're, we watch TV you're in a more relaxed state and so it just when you actually pay attention to how things are cut very closely in a show they can feel very it is magical yeah but I, I think like there's an actual science around the fact that we can only handle around 10 or 11 minutes of complete absurdity before <laughs> we are irritated bored frustrated want to move on and like this pushes you so far beyond that because there's like it's basically 40 minute dream sequence and so like even that is more than your mind wants I know that just from improv and like the way Adult Swim does its shows, right? 11 minute, 12 minute shows. Right. Bad improv feels really bad at 10, 11 minutes, you know? Yeah. But you can kind of tolerate humans doing random shit for a little bit. Maybe before Too many cooks bit. is the limit is like. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I wonder if that, uh, you know, kind of ex explains the structure of it a little bit because it really is sort of these uh, four short surrealist films that really have starts and stops and breaks in between the way that yeah. it's presented. But even the, I mean, but even the breaks are still within the dream. Like, yeah, at the beginning of Xander's dream, he's still dreaming while he's like sitting and like the dialogue is a little bit more absurd than usual. Where she's, she's like corn. He's like, yeah, uh, butter flavored, new car smell. <laughs> like, uh, even that is still like pushing things. Um, that was so good because yeah, exactly. Like you think you're out of the dream and you're not. You're deep in another dream. <laughs> Can you can you guys imagine that this was just aired on TV? Like when this was aired, yeah, without warning. Yes, I mean unless you recorded it, and, and then lots of lots of normal folks. I mean, I'm guess I'm speaking to young people. Lots of normal folks back in the 80s and 90s and 2000s did record television shows on tape to watch it again, but a lot of folks didn't do that, or a lot of folks didn't have a VCR. So I like, couldn't watch this episode until I think almost the beginning of the next season when they re-aired re it. Yeah, because it's like. We've, we, I'm sure each of us have watched this at least two times. I'm still not sure I understand what happens in this, in this episode. <laughs>
in some ways it's cool that like it's risky because like it's hard to come away with a plot summary. I mean, I watched it once and I couldn't remember what happened except I didn't really like it. Um, I think you're in the minority there, Travis. I think I'm so. Completely. Sorry. No, no, no. Good to, we I'm, gotta have somebody on this show to like be. I'm always water when you guys are vinegar, wait, or oil. It's just, it's, it's how it is. It's crazy. I didn't like it the first time I saw it. The second time I enjoyed it. The first time I was angry. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's just so insane that, <laughs> and there, that this is the season finale. Like, this isn't yeah. like a mid-season episode. This is like, like, I don't know. It, it just really speaks to like how weird season four is. Uh, like, Michael, can you say more? About what? About being about angry? Why it made you angry, yeah. I it just the dream sequences were so long. I like I thought certainly like like not that I had this ten minute rule in my head that I now have explicitly stated, but I I was driven to explicitly state why I didn't like it to myself. And it's like I don't like it when a show does a dream that's this long. Right. Like I can I like little dips of dreams. Like let's have a little dream. Yeah, no, why not? But when it's the whole thing. It's like that's too much dream cake for me to eat at one time, and right. I didn't. I it never gets full because dreams are always like alluding to a bigger message or like something else, and so you never feel full. And then the confrontation, you know, which we'll get to, like just felt off and un. Like how how could we even arrive at a confrontation when we've only been in the dream the whole time, and like, I I think it just it made me. It also makes me angry because it's like this show is so smart, and then they just. They don't give a shit most, like some of the time. And then when they do, it makes you angry. You're like, oh, so is this what you guys were working on? (laughs) Could have spent a little time developing Adam into a more interesting character, but you didn't care because you had this great dream idea. I think that's true. (laughs) I never thought of it like that. Because they love this episode so much. It has the most setups, the most cuts, the most engagement. And it's like, geez, I I know you guys hate being on this Monster of the Week show. You feel trapped. And then you've got this meaty idea and you're like, let's let's dig in and own this. No, I do think this is like an ego thing for Joss Whedon where he's like, I'm just going to save up all the money that should go to a season finale. Say, fuck the season finale. Take all that money and spend it on like cameos of all my favorite actors. Like, there, there's, a, there's, there's a Joss Whedon director's commentary on the DVDs. Oh. I didn't listen to, um, but we can someday when we're all done with this, Mike. Yeah, <laughs> that'll be this our second airing where we just listened to uh, commentary. commentary episodes. Oh, God. <laughs> uh, I mean, you know, to to be fair, like like this wasn't this was what six years after Twin Peaks ended, so it's not like right dream cinema on like prime time didn't exist, uh, and it was like really kind of actually more common in the '90s than it is now, right? Because right. everyone was trying to. Yeah, I also think like it, it, the way people watch TV, of course, is so much differently that this episode being outside the continuity of the season to some extent wouldn't be as big a deal. Like if, um, you know, if The Walking Dead did this where they had a whole season arc and then afterwards they just had this insane coda that doesn't connect, everybody would be really angry, right? But you know, at the time you were watching things out of order, you know, like, you know, Dennis says, you know, you didn't necessarily know if the season was ending on a certain time or not. It wasn't, you didn't watch TV like that. So I think it was probably less of a big deal in a lot of ways. Yeah. Oh man. Yeah. It'd be really interesting if like, like Game of Thrones did an all dream episode or something like. <laughs> the last episode of Game of Thrones. <laughs> That'd be an interesting project to watch just 90s dream episodes. Because there's got to be so many. I bet, I mean, I, probably even Friends and Seinfeld have dream episodes. 
I bet Wait, home, like, improvement like, dream home Improvement Dream <laughs> <laughs> You gotta be careful what you wish for, episode. brother. Home so Improvement my... certainly. Roseanne probably had dream sequences. Home Improvement, Full House probably had a dream sequence. You just gotta be careful. I just like how they've captured dream acting. The mm. dream acting thing is this weird thing they've got. Yeah. And they've like, it's so clearly directed that this is dream acting. Like, so bizarre, choice-wise. Yeah, it's like new wave acting. New wave? Yeah, yeah, it's so deliberate. Is that what new wave acting is? I'm saying it like, like I'm going to, in recommendations, I'll get into like, check new wave. But like, like it's the like, um, acting like you're in a play kind of acting instead of acting like, within Xander's dream, I just wanted to point out that like, the women are either like, overly sexualized, like Joyce, Willow, and Tara, or they're coded as children, like Buffy is. And I don't know, I mean, it's obviously Xander's dream. Uh, but it's also interesting who gets what, like Willow is sexualized, but Buffy is not. But um, the thing of calling him big brother is super weird. Like Buffy is not like in that role to, to Xander, you know? But it's almost like, like there's a certain type of man or whatever who like, like can either like, like needs to view women one way or the other, right? Xander doesn't have a lot of female friends, is what you're saying. Which uh, is weird because he, he does. He only has female friends. <laughs> but he can't stop sexualizing them. Isn't that weird? Like we everyone was trying to give Xander a pass, but like Xander still got demons, and he got demons aplenty. <laughs> I like that line also where he's like do you mind? I'm talking to my demon. Like, <laughs> you, can, you can tell that Joss wrote this because there are so many quotable lines that don't really even make sense. But it's like, Joss is like, I'm just going to write this line and it's going to be amazing. And it's like, <laughs> line, line, line. Perfect. But, uh, I also, I really love uh, Xander in that scene where, she's, where he's talking to Giles and Buffy and stuff. And then he sees himself in the ice cream truck. And it like takes a couple times for him to do that full transition. That, that was yeah. very cool to me. That's cool. Oh, that's a beautiful dream transition. That one is so good. Because, like, that totally works. Look over, see yourself, and that's you, and just yeah. cut into it. I, it's, like, amazing vocabulary for dream films. I love uh, um, the ice cream truck is a right-hand drive. So they got that from some other part of the world. And uh, It's also, a converted post office truck. Is that what it is? It looked too big to be that, but... That's okay. It looked it looked just really big, but, but maybe they were bigger back back a long time ago. But uh, and I just love all the all the blue screening or green screening or projection. It almost looks like projection, like old school projection on the on the wall behind the uh, the prop the the, yeah. the set. Yeah, and it's like wonderfully fake. Like yeah, it's it's a like good fake. It's like when you see like fake food and it looks like insanely cool, and you're like, that's a fake cupcake. That's awesome. That's what this was like. I couldn't tell. So I, I've got an image at the bottom of this document here. I couldn't tell if, how intentionally the blue screen was bad. So like, uh, for instance, I got a snapshot here of the of when the blue screen was completely exposed. Yeah. Oh, that wow. One, that yeah. one uh, is because that Hulu cuts things to widescreen. So it's showing a lot of info that. Oh, I'm like, that's not on the DVD. Yeah, that wouldn't be on the DVD. It happens a lot, actually, if you're just watching them on Hulu, where you'll see like cameraman in, fr in the frame and like oh. stuff like that. Um, but I but will like, say, I, I do think the, 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 the blue screening is intentionally bad. I yeah. Part of the dreamlike feel. The, um, the spill around, if you look at it in HD, the spill around Anya's hair is really bad. 
these like right. And it, should, it shouldn't be so bad. But yeah, they I, could yeah, have done it better, but I think it's all part of the the, the dreamlike the feeling dream. of it. Like, it's, but it's hard to do blonde on green screen, so that's a special problem. So I I didn't get that it was Adam, the actor who plays Adam, was in the scene with Riley in the weird initiative debriefing kind of world. Uh, and like until the second viewing that just didn't like jump out at me at all. Like, yeah. I mean, we've never yeah. seen his full face before. It's incredible how much younger he looks out of makeup. He's so not beefy. He's such a lanky <laughs> dude. <laughs> I guess they have to get a really skinny guy so they can pad him up with all the weird mm -hmm. prosthetics and it looks normal. Yeah, it makes sense. <laughs> that scene is so weird. Like even the, like the shots under the table, like through glass of Riley, to make him look, I guess, more deranged. But like, it, it's such a weird scene. Well, I think yeah. like Travis is saying, like, I think there's a lot of like, you know, writers being like, you know, I've got an idea. I'm going to work it in whether it fits or not. I feel like that shot up to the table with the gun is like, yeah, it kind of works thematically, but also let's just use it because it's cool. It, it gets reused in uh, The Avengers. Oh, there's a Captain America through glass with the bloody uh, Captain America trading cards. So the same same shot. Nicely noticed. Just liked it. He loves it. There's he also a lot of good, like crazy, like military quotes in that scene. Like the thing about like we're gonna give everything names. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I so, uh so Giles gets like the shortest dream. Um, or somebody's got to get uh, the shortest one. Uh. But it's his third musical number for this season. I don't think I realized until this until this airing just how much singing he does in season four. <laughs> I really enjoyed the singing. It was. It was yeah. I forgot that was in it, and when I watched it again, I was like, "Oh yeah, this is really good." It's totally like like this is the beginning of the musical, right? Because this is their first like original number. Yeah, that that's surprising. It took so long for an original song to appear, but it that's a delightful song. Though the line about his couch is weird <laughs> to me. Uh, it made me feel like, and I don't know if they actually did this. Like, is it Giles's furniture in the bronze? Yes. Yeah. Okay, yes, I went yeah. back and checked that. By his lamp. It's like it's like half his his living room, half the bronze, and like the that's where the books are there and his lamp. Yeah. Yeah. Oh no, definitely the the books were his, but I didn't the furniture that's awesome because like he directly references it's his couch in the song and it's such a weird <laughs> line like that can't be <laughs> i guess it is wow just had it steam cleaned uh john oh yeah uh so uh at the end you can sort of see what movies xander has rented um, which is really interesting. So I, first of all, I'm pretty sure I haven't actually gone back to check. It's the same video rental place that the um, the guy rented videos for the Hellhounds. <laughs> <laughs> Not only is it the same uh, video place, but uh, one of the videos Xander rented. So the videos Xander rented were Prom Night was the first one, <laughs> which I finally watched. By the way, oh good, so, so oh, good. Okay. Prom Night, Apocalypse Now. Astral Girl and Thelma and Louise are the four films. Now, Astral Girl does not exist as far as IMDb is concerned. I have uh, searched uh, high and low on the internet, cannot find a reference to a feature film titled Astral Girl. Um, but the rest are very real. The rest are like, yeah, very real. And they're, you know, yeah. So I, I it, it's tempting to try to think of the four movies as the four dream sequences. 
Um, and you can all like, I, you can almost make it work. So like Willow's dream is prom night because it's, it's very much about high school and her high school identity versus, uh, you know, her new identity, I guess. Um, Xander's dream references apocalypse now very openly. I guess that makes uh, Giles's dream astral girl, <laughs> which you can do what you want with since the movie doesn't exist. And Buffy's dream, Thelma and Louise, it does end in a desert. I don't know what to do beyond that with hmm. that with uh, Thelma and Louise. Two women in a desert. So there. <laughs> but where's Brad Pitt? But where is Brad Pitt, indeed? Yeah, that doesn't work for me, but I, I like the idea of it a lot. <laughs> it would be nice if it did, though, wouldn't it? Yeah. <laughs> uh, so um, Buffy's like final victory defeat is very shades of nancy from uh the first elm street movie um and i even wrote down nancy's original so like buffy's quote is like i walk i talk i shop i sneeze uh i'm going to be a fireman when the floods roll back uh there's trees in the desert since you moved out and i don't sleep on a bed of bones now give me back my friends it's over we don't do this anymore and nancy's i think is a little better where it's um it's too late, Kruger. I know the secret now. This is just a dream, too. You're not alive. This whole thing is a dream. I want my mother and friends again. I take back every bit of energy I ever gave you. You're nothing. You're shit. Uh, so it's just both dec- like declaring, like, this is false, and I- I'm taking back all the deaths you took. Uh, yeah. No, great, great contrast. Uh, and now, Travis, you have one last negative thing to say about this episode. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I just said this should have been a three-minute webisode. <laughs> like, like, not a full episode. But that's okay. I'll be in the minority here. That's fine. That's fine. It would have been a three-minute webisode that would have taken you, uh, you know, three hours to download in real media format. <laughs> well, it would have been a gift for future generations. So I don't understand why people aren't making, you know, things now that, that would only be useful in 10 or 20 years you know, for us to, for the future to unlock, right? It should have been forward thinking. Like, oh, what are you doing? Oh, we're making all these webisodes. What's the web? (laughs) (laughs) All right. Uh, Let's move to questions for the group. Questions for the group. Okay, so this is a big one I want to start with, but I would like to use this as a gateway into talking about dreams as it relates to this episode. But... You know, if we could all individually, you know, talk about this, it'd be great. Question is, what are dreams to you? I like um, in Twin Peaks, like um, uh, the uh, uh, the colonel or what is it, the major? He has this distinction between dreams that are prophetic, which aren't real dreams, and like uh, this wasn't a dream. A dream is just a recount of your day in like a strange format. He has a very specific rule for what a dream is. Um, which is not my definition. Okay. So it's not the playback of your day. Oh, I don't know. What what are dreams to you, Dennis? You have you spent more time thinking about them than probably, yeah. probably I have. Yeah, I like dreams. Um I don't know. They're cheat sheets for storytelling for me. Like oh, when so- I have a, like a, a story I want to tell, but I can't get like everything to work out, like I meditate on it and then I like go to sleep and I like try to pull things from the dream to figure it out. Um, did I tell you guys about how uh, 
my senior year of CCS, um, we had like a dream comic assignment and I did it and it was like interesting and fun and stuff. And then I did my thesis and um, it turned out like a year or two later, I pulled out my dream comic and my main character from my thesis first appeared in my dream comic and I didn't know it. Uh, it come to me in my dream and I didn't know. Spooky. Yeah. You got, you got your own continuity errors there, Dennis. And you're the one making the comic. Unless it's the same world. So uncanny uh, secret information. <laughs> so it was prophetic, right? Would that be prophetic? Yeah, totally. Yeah. I mean, I, don't know, I think my dad's kind of a, a, union, a unionist. Uh, so I kind of grew up with that. Um, but I'm not a strict union guy but i do what like does it mean to be a union can you just say that's more succinctly um i don't know really i mean uh he was an early therapist uh uh um i mean not who was Jung. i mean but like what is the like if you have a uh, i mean he day. believed that dreams um were a code to your subconscious and that there was like a universal subconscious so like he kind of broke, he had a thing of like kind of breaking down like what every dream means to every person. And he had this general belief that there was like one giant connected like subconscious that we all could tap into that um, worked on archetypes. And it's, it's you know, it's, it's, it's kind of merging the thing of like the like, so I think, I think union stuff like really helps for storytelling because it's like merging the like um, dream with the like Joseph Campbell like hero of a thousand faces thing um but what that all means i don't know like where it all connects in the real world is not something i have a theory about it just helps me to write and to think about stories yeah because campbell's really obsessed with archetypes too and like archetypal mythology where it's like we all share these same stories the firebringer story every culture has a firebringer story yeah you know everyone has a maturation story uh what about you john what do you, what are dreams to you I not much at the moment. Um, when I was younger, I uh, well, one of the big challenges in my life that actually I still have is uh, waking up in the morning, and it's it's been a real problem for me, as, as you guys know. Um, and it, you know, it's funny, but it's also it's been a real issue. Um, and so when I was a younger man, uh, you know, between the ages of maybe eighteen and twenty-one, I got really into uh, Joseph Campbell. Carl Jung got into those ideas and wanted to do dream stuff. And so I would, I started writing down my dreams and the, I did find the more that I got into it, the more I would write them down, the more intense the dreams would get and the more involved they would get. And so I found myself sleeping in later and later and later and later <laughs> and producing more and more dream stuff and getting more obsessed with it. Uh, and it got pretty fascinating, but uh, also kind of like to the detriment of my walking around life. Right. Uh, I mean, it probably you're, you're waking know, like, life. You're waking. I don't life. want to make too too big of a uh, um, you know cause and effect there because I mean, also I was just depressed. I mean, that's it wasn't just you know like yeah. it wasn't like I did some dream spell on myself and killed myself. It was it was also I was sad. <laughs> but um, but uh, since then, I've been kind of afraid to get back into uh, focusing on my dreams and writing them down because I think the more you do pay attention to them, the more the bigger they get. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and I don't I don't keep a constant dream journal, kind of for similar reasons. And also, my brother keeps a pretty constant dream journal, and I don't see it helping him any. I've always kind of worried about my own sanity, um, and I feel like the dre dreams are your gateway to like what you what insane you is like. Yeah, um, <laughs> so something to like analyze, but like be careful about. 
Uh, I remember, John, when you used to listen to like an audio file of Waking Life. Oh, yeah. Left. That's right. Yeah. Is that, that to trigger right. something? Yeah, because well, the, the movie Waking Life by Richard Linklater had come out and like it was all about dreams and lucid dreaming. And it was a very, uh, a, that to the... very alluring notion. And uh, yeah, that's right. Because I had ripped the DVD, which was really hard at the time. I ripped the DVD and just the audio track off and burned it to a CD. And I would listen to that going to bed because it would like give me better dreams so i thought <laughs> that's, that's a cool answer. technique <laughs> did did it have any impact probably i mean i i think just like again it's all about intention right you go to go to yeah. sleep like intending to like i'm gonna like have a crazy dream and then i'm gonna get up and i'm gonna write it all out uh you do it does work eventually you just start to have crazy involved dreams that you remember really well because i can still remember some of my dreams from that time very vividly I mean, I was, yeah, I would like to talk about lucid dreaming techniques in a bit, but we'll get, I think that's part of it, definitely setting intentions. All right, Travis, what are dreams to you? So um, <clears throat> I don't really, I don't really dream at all. So I can go years without a dream, a, a remembered dream. How about that? I'm sure I'm actually dreaming, but I don't remember them ever. So I have like the negative feedback loop where I don't care about them because I don't remember them. And then I don't rem So it, it, as John said, when you care about it, you'll remember it and it'll feed, it'll feed forward. Me, it's kind of the exact opposite. I've had nightmares before, but those are very rare. Um, and I've, I had a few nightmares recently because I was quite depressed, um, but they are gone now and they only lasted a week or two weeks. Um, so for me, you know, dreams don't have much of an importance. I'm a big uh, uh, daydreamer. Okay, so I like daydreams. But so I don't, I don't, this nightdream thing, that's overblown. Now daydreams, man, you can get really sucked into some daydreams. Okay, so that, that's kind of like my, that's my kryptonite because you can get really sucked into daydreaming. But you still have the safety of the lights. Yeah, and, I'm, and daydreaming, I began daydreaming so hard um, when I was uh, swimming in high school because you'd be like two hours in a pool and you can't talk to anyone. There's no music, right? Um, so there's just, there's just you in the water and doing your thing. So then your mind like really just starts racing and you just daydream about all kinds of stuff. It sounds a lot like sensory deprivation. Like yeah, I bet, I bet, yeah. Yeah, so I think for me, I kind of maybe screwed up my life because I can literally spend a whole day, all day, just daydreaming, and and it's like a really exciting, fulfilling day. It's super not, it's super not good. Well, it's good and it's not good, right? Um, so for me, that's kind of my weird situation. Um, and but the but the but the, the the actual night dreams that you guys speak about, I, I these night dreams that these mortals speak about, I have no no recollection of. No, so I don't have that. So every time I fall asleep, I die, and then I wake up in the morning. I mean, this is what I think death is going to be like, guys. I hate to hate to shortchange you, but falling asleep and not having a dream is going to be what dying feels like. It's okay. It's okay because it's quite comfortable. Well, that's such a comfort to know that death will merely be like falling asleep. Um, yeah, so I, I guess I'd like to, I never heard you talk about the daydream thing and that's fascinating. And I like the trigger to swimming. I didn't realize those were connected. That totally makes sense though. Like that kind of activity. I mean, I find that I'm constantly trying to distract myself from daydreaming uh, by listening to podcasts and stuff like that in order yeah. to stay in the, the real world. I'm trying to make my internal life less rich. Thank you very much. <laughs> I, just, I just know that if my mind is just left to do its own thing without a distraction, that like 
that's when like I get radical ideas and not like I'm trying to like have fewer ideas just like maybe I am trying to have fewer ideas I just like would like to work on the ones that I'm focused on and it's yeah. just such a distraction no no daydreaming is like sunlight right you know it, it you you want it you want you don't want 24 hours of sunlight right you'll go crazy um, because all I can think about is that Al Pacino movie in Alaska but that's okay uh, you want some of it. Otherwise, you know, it's not your life isn't as rich. So I didn't mean to totally go off the rails in this, but now I'd like to bring it back into the Buffy connection, which is about like, what's the dream logic of the show? We kind of discussed generally about dreams. I li- really like what Dennis has said about Jungian dreams, because I think there's a lot of Jungian logic that goes into shows specifically. Yeah. So like, I mean, dream by dream, there's, you know, there's Willow's dream, there's Xander's dream, there's Child's dream, there's Buffy's dream. So like, what's what's some of the dream logic that's kind of active you know, in the, in this episode. So like, uh, like, like with Willow, it's like her dream is very focused on this outward appearance thing and about her, like feeling like who she is now as a performance. Um, and like, like common, like that's a pretty common type of dream. Like, like if you have dreams about like your teeth rotting, that's like supposed to be about that also. And like, it totally calls back to also to Willow's, Nightmare and nightmares about Madame Butterfly, which gets a shout out in this episode. Yeah, uh, Meta Dream. So yeah, like that's her dream. That's like her theme, right? Is like um, uh, uh, that everything's a facade. Yeah, and who she really is is this nerd that she doesn't want to be anymore. It's interesting that Tara features so heavily in her dream. Tara is such a part of her, the identity that she has yeah. for herself now, and that like Tara is like a like a shaman in her own dream. Which is awesome that you're like your partner, your romantic partner is also kind of a shaman. Yeah. Which is like this mystical terror character, like I that's why I said I think I said like mystical lesbianism or something, because like there's something magical about apparently a lesbian partner in this era <laughs> where like she has some magical knowledge of the like, world. Literally. <laughs> literally. Yeah. Yeah. Well, levels up this episode. I mean Tara the character levels up. Yeah. Totally. Well, it's almost like within Will's dream, there's a couple different Terras. There's the like right. Terra who's like the sage, and then there's the Terra who like Willow's afraid will like see the real her and leave her. But then, mm-hmm. but earlier, like Willow, Willow is like Terra is aware of Willow's costume and is trying to help her protect it. Right. So it's kind of like these duality of characters. And don't you forget, 15 episodes ago, Terra screwed up some magic spell on purpose. Like Terra still is a little bit mysterious. Oh, don't you remember that that smell that didn't work? Yeah, but I didn't really. I guess I didn't classify it as intentional. Definitely it? intentional. Yeah, it was, it was clearly. It was clearly. <laughs> intentional. All right, no one's gonna get angry at me today. It's great. <laughs> um, and then like Xander's dream is all about like uh, him being left behind. It's him trying to chase after people right. and being afraid that he's being left behind in life and like. He always ends up back in the basement. It's like, uh, which is also super, super relatable when you're like in your early 20s and you've kind of fucked up a little and you see other yeah. people moving on with your li- their lives. Um, and then what's Giles', and then Giles is, dream is similar. <laughs> well, yeah. Giles is, yeah, Giles' dream is similar, but it's also like, I love the way it starts with the, um, the hypnotism thing. Yeah. Where, where he's, he's put himself in this, uh, in this role, this like, uh, 
he says it's you know this traditional uh, masculine role vis-a-vis Buffy as as her her guide and her watcher and her uh, her father figure. But he's super uncomfortable with it and doesn't really know how to do it right. I love that that sense of unease that comes through Giles's dream. Yeah, yeah, and it's also like both Giles and Xander like infantilize Buffy in their dreams, yeah. which is like not Buffy at all, right? Uh, but yeah, yeah, Giles is all about his struggle as like a paternal figure. Oh, there's something I didn't, I wanted to bring up from Giles's dream that I just, just triggered here, which is where he's with, it's Olivia, right? Yeah. And like, she's pushing a baby carriage with no baby and then she's pregnant also. And like, I, two, two thoughts. One is of course, like Giles's relation with her doesn't happen because she wants to have a kid or they don't have a kid or there's a miscarriage. And like, I, I just love, I love that character, uh, that ad that, that, that brings while Spike is doing whatever she's like dying on a, on a tomb with the yeah. like clearly pregnant oh there's such interesting stuff going on there because that's like a guilt that like we're not even familiar with it's just like let's throw some of giles's guilt and his relationships in here that yeah. we haven't been followed in the show oh so good yeah because giles just, clearly has like a life outside the show that we just get this glimpse of right yeah <laughs> and then what about uh you know buffy's dream which is and we haven't even talked about some of the other dream themes, but like, what about, you know, what's going on there? Yeah, what is what is Buffy? I mean, what is her main theme? Because it seems like by the time we get to her, she's mostly about the chase, yeah. right? And about like, because everybody else has already died and she kind of quickly figures it out. Yeah, she's Buffy's dream in- is almost, almost anticlimactic because she's so on top of things. I mean, so yeah, and then Joyce is kind of this in this hole in the wall. That's really strange. That's great. Yeah. Riley's getting a dream briefing. That's right. You know, because she's concerned about Riley. Because in the one of the few real segments on the show, Riley is apparently going to the initiative in order to get, like, you know, testify about what the th- what happened, and then in exchange, maybe we'll get honorably discharged. So maybe with a pension or something. Who knows? Yeah, I love the term "mutated Bay of Pigs" because yeah. it just totally puts an image of a man <laughs> in my head. <laughs> There's like a weird goopy transformation that happens and then Buffy's in the desert. And then her, she has the shortest dream, I think. It is pretty quick. Because, yeah. yeah. right, she's totally on top of it. And then like, she's not, there's nothing confusing about her con- confrontation with the primeval, whatever, the first slayer. It's like she- Yeah, she's got it worked out. stabbed and she's like, <laughs> eh, knock it off. And it's bullshit. Like, wow. Yeah. Uh, so I'd say her theme is mostly about family, right? Like it's uh, about Joyce and like what her relation with what her like power relation with Joyce is now, I guess. Mm. Um, and maybe more. Well, I don't know, they, should we talk about that? Uh, well, they don't. They end. They also end with it still in a dream, right? Which is a weird like way to cut the show because like there's the cheese on the painting, and I just like threw that as a screenshot at the bottom just so it would be there. But like there's cheese on the painting and there's people, there's like a weird voice. From, oh I shit. I didn't know about that. Like, like it ends with them. <laughs> wait, wait, sorry. Don't bury the lead here, Mike. I didn't know about this. Dennis, did you know about this? No, there's a, a slice of cheese just stuck on the painting. That's amazing. Well spotted Mike. I didn't know this. So after they come out of the dream, there's a piece of cheese on the painting. Well, I thought to me that was that they were still in the dream and that was yeah. the yeah. signifier. Well, you I know, never, at the end of that, that, when they do the, like when, dream Terra replays the like you think you know but you have no idea that that's the dream but um that's cool cheese still there yeah <laughs> without cheese man 
Well done, Mike. Oh, yeah. you're welcome. Sleuthing it. Mike, your next question is about what is the first layer? Uh, yeah, what is the first layer? I mean, it's I, I'm, it's like super curious energy in this episode that is all about it. And uh, I don't think there's a direct answer in the show, in this episode about what it is. And that's, it's clear and I totally missed it. But it's like, oh, it's this primeval chaos destruction energy that like they summoned and then like it forms as, and I just think of Tank Girl right away when anything like, when you get that much face paint and it looks like a character either borrowed from a, you know, like a Mad Max or a Tank Girl kind of world, but a clearly like an Outback Aboriginal, like primal character. Uh, it's super, super weird depiction. I, I, I don't know what they're going for. I mean, yeah, I, I'm I not think super thrilled. Thing. This is the one part of the episode I'm not super thrilled with. I think it's not great for a show that uh, has an all white doesn't cast. have any black people in it to have one that's this image of primitiveness. The prime, yeah, the primeval. Like, do better. Do better, Buffy. Uh, why don't we move to recommendations? Recommendations. Um, so the ones like Apocalypse Now has to be a wreck because it's in there and they do it so much. Uh, and Armin Shimmerham, sorry, Armin Shimmerman is really is actually better than Marlon Brando. In yeah, he's really good. <laughs> Uh, but I mean, yeah, should you should watch him. Apocalypse Now if uh, <laughs> if you haven't. Um, I also recommended Tales of Terror, which is an Edgar Allan Poe uh, uh, trilogy with Vincent Price and Peter Lorre, because that's got the black cat, the person being walled off, which, you know, reminded me of Joyce. Um, and then I started to get into like, so I've already like recommended like pretty much every David Lynch movie. Um <laughs> on this podcast so i thought i'd uh change it up and start recommending like other kind of more surrealist stuff so um uh, i'm going to recommend uh um el topo and holy mountains from uh yodorowsky uh two really like yodorowsky is an amazing filmmaker and very surreal um so i'm not recommending like i wasn't thinking strictly like things that are like dream cinema but getting in more into the surrealism um so i was also going to bring up the czech new wave um, which uh, is really exemplified by uh, Valerie and her Week of Wonders, which Buffy fans would also like because it's got like a lot of vampire stuff going on. It's got like a Nosferatu type guy called the Weasel, um, but uh, that movie is really good. Um, and I'll Rick, like Jan Schwenkmeier is another Czech New Wave guy, um, and his feature length films are good, but his short films are like amazing. So he's got like a bunch of like combination of like stop motion with real humans and stop motion with clay stuff like he's got this whole food series like so look for that like lunch and dinner those are really good um and i'm also going to recommend uh like the surrealist film written by partially written by salvador dali and andalusian dog um which i think these days is most famous for like one particular shot yeah but it it <laughs> It basically it's reads, not that watchable to be honest yeah it's i mean i think boring. i think you need to watch the movie if you're going to get into the surrealist yeah. filmmaking but it almost reads like i remember john you wrote like a computer program to write a script and it read like and it's like that's like how an andalusian dog reads to me is like somebody wrote a computer program to <laughs> um and then the more dr the actual dream cinema stuff i'm i am not going to recommend inception because inception is 
boring and very mechanic based, but I'm going to recommend Paprika, which is kind of like the less pretentious cartoon version of Inception and Waking Life, which we've talked about in the podcast. Yeah, just the, the pillow book, the um, Peter Greenway film uh, with uh, Ewan McGregor. There's lots of painting on bodies and the, the terrace scene, I think is maybe very specifically a reference to the pillow book. It, is, it looks very similar the way that it, it is done. That's even from that era, right? Like, yeah, right around that time. Real, real, real sexy. You get to see uh, Ewan McGregor's penis with writing on it. Ooh. Why would you write on a penis? To see how much you can fit in. <laughs> <laughs> that guy's got a paragraph. <laughs> um, I was also thinking about some uh, uh, dream comics and stuff. So if you like, like, not that I don't recommend too many comics on this show, but like, Gilbert Hernandez is one of my favorite cartoonists and he is a real like natural surrealist. Um, so fear of comics is his like straight up like surreal comic. Uh, but anything he does in love and rockets has like a surreal quality to it. Um, he's got a book love from the shadows, which is like one of his books that's supposed to technically be a movie, but it's one of the most strange like dream logic kind of like books you'll ever read where like characters change shape and change bodies a lot. And it's like, um, it's really cool. Uh, and then I also like, um, uh, there's, uh, heavy metal did this, uh, takeoff of, uh, uh, of, uh, little Nemo called little ego, which is like the, like sex comic version of dream comics. Um, I think that's pretty fun and pretty weird. <laughs> uh, and then everyone ends with the girl waking up and she's like, Oh, I'm not going to tell my therapist about this instead of like little Nemo waking up. Um, uh, so those are my recs. Virgin predictions. Why don't we move on to predictions? What's going to happen in predictions? Okay. Uh, so we have a lot of predictions that we could talk about now, but we're going to save uh, many of them for the season four wrap up. We're only going to deal with predictions that uh, were either confirmed or denied this specific episode. So to review your score, uh, Michael, uh, you have 118 confirmed predictions, 71 denied, 139 yet to be addressed predictions and you have uh, let's see uh, an accuracy of 62.4 perfect <laughs> dealing with some older predictions there's going to be some eh, moderately controversial ones here first off going way back to the very beginning of season two michael at that time you predicted we will never see xander's parents now in this episode we do meet xander's dad but it's in a dream so I think this one we may have to discuss a bit. Uh, Dennis, does this count? I say it counts because we see him, which is right. like, well, like, okay. like there's no reason. Specific, the verb that Michael used, I misspoke a second ago. We will never meet Xander's parents was, was, was how he phrased uh, Did we meet uh, Xander's father? I was thinking it counted because like, there's no reason to think Xander would not accurately dream his dad. True. Like it wouldn't be a different actor or something. So right. I feel like it counts. We did see parents and we only saw a parent. True. True. We will never meet Xander's parents, plural, is the, how it's phrased. I mean, he did pull the meat out of Xander's body. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, okay. Um, how are we going to call this one? I'm going to go ahead and vote that this one is denied because we, I think we met Xander's dad and I think that counts. Yeah, I think it counts. Well, when I meet, uh, you know, all of you, 
<laughs> dreams. I count it as a hangout, a hangout. <laughs> <laughs> I'll remember that. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, I think it counts. Dennis, does it count, Travis? I guess it counts. Okay. All right. Three for three. That's denied. Bullshit. That's total bullshit. It didn't even matter how I voted. I just want to vote with the group at that point. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Similarly, maybe controversial. Season four, episode five, Mike, you predicted no more cavemen or cavewomen. Did we have a cavewoman? No. Travis says no. Dennis, what do you say? I, I've been struggling on this one partially because it doesn't fit. She doesn't fit the like cartoony cavemen we saw before, and she's definitely she doesn't she's not a Neanderthal, right? Uh, she's definitely, but I don't know how to. I actually like was trying to look up cavemen and get a strict definition, but the problem is like cavemen are only like a movie trope. They're not yeah, real. It's not a scientific term. <laughs> it's not an anthrop- anthropological term there. <laughs> so usually like i guess in a show or like cavemen are like basically like a neanderthal human hybrid right um well let's let's be real i mean this was basically a racist depiction of an early human okay now cavemen in movies are typically are typically portrayed as european of some origin and usually they're usually depicted in a group this woman appeared to be a more of a hunter-gatherer not necessarily a cave person until you see her holding some chalk and you know writing on the side of a cave i think it's way too premature to say that this is a cave woman yeah i think you're right i think we're gonna have to leave this one open because we could still have cave people in the future um but uh no denial here okay and i think the last one today and this one meh i don't know uh in the last very last episode michael you predicted that riley will start attending school like nothing ever happened the fact that we had our only scene that happens in real life in this episode is Riley sort of explaining how he's going to exit the initiative. We can't, can we really say at this point, if, whether he goes to school or not, it, that, he, that it is as though nothing ever happened? I feel like this one may be denied just because we got a nice explanation at the beginning of the episode. I, I feel like this remains to be seen. I feel like, you know, there's still season five is going to start with a new school season. You know? Well, right, but if he attends school at the beginning of season five, he will not have done so as if nothing ever happened because we had a scene explaining it. No, no, I mean, nothing ever happened, I think, was more like he's not enrolled in therapy. He doesn't have oh, to go oh, to I prison. He's, he's, not, <laughs> he's yeah. not, like, going to live on the lamb. Like, I see. He's not been this hiding. Is less about, that, is, that is life restarts. Uh, it's less about an explanation got, of the audience. Right, he gets more about fed. Riley's even keel. Yeah. All these people okay. probably known as died, and he's like, well, time to get debriefed. Right. Okay. In that case, that one is definitely still open. Uh, I, I surrender to that logic. Uh, well, I, I still think it's going to be true because it, the way they end it here, getting discharged is like it didn't happen. Like, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do my, my normal civilian life now. Like, there is zero struggle over the death of all of his friends. Well, Graham's well, still alive. Michael, your percent accuracy has dropped to a 62.1. Before you make any new predictions, uh, we discussed this uh, uh, earlier uh, without you, Michael. Um, One of the things we'd like to tell you before you make new predictions is we're going to be intentionally a bit vague here. This episode contains foreshadowing for season five. We're not going to tell you what bit of it is foreshadowing, obviously, or what it's foreshadowing, of course. 
But we just want to tell you that before you make any predictions. Great. <laughs> so I have some predictions, but I, I didn't realize there was a lot of foreshadowing. So maybe I would like to take a little more time. But I guess I've got the season four wrap up. I can make some more then. Yeah, very true. You can add on. Yeah. Give us give us some now and then you but can. But the ones I ones I had, you know, watching this is Tara was in Willow's dream and remembers it. Mm. So Tara and Willow, there will be some in some way will indicate that they remember the dream. And it may be as stupid as, and I don't want to say this because it's not literally what I think will happen as like wait the knowing that they were waiting for the cat to tell them what the name of the cat was. Um, Tara will write on Buffy's body. This seems like a cool technique to use to get magical energies out. I think Tara is going to write on Buffy's body at some point. And Tara and not Willow because Tara is more magical than Willow. Uh, Xander will say something about when he see Tara and Willow kiss in real life, not in a dream. That's obvious, but he can't help himself. Said it in a dream, going to say it in real life. And then uh, Giles will talk about Olivia wanting to have a baby with Giles. And this will be a totally veiled reference. This will be the most veiled of veiled references about like, wait, we can't get serious. I don't want to settle down. And that will mean, that'll be the baby thing. Because Giles is settled down as fuck. And how could he be more settled down? And that would be married with a baby. <laughs> like, or like don't have enough room in the place for you know family, something like that. Very good. Cool. But now I got to think about what the foreshadowing is because that's an exciting problem. It might have to do with cheese. Nice try. <laughs> <laughs> so like everything in themes and deep stuff, we've kind of already touched on in questions for the group. Uh, is there, uh, do we feel like there's more to say or do, do we want to wrap it up? Uh, I did want to just, you know, the, the thing that I wanted to say about this episode that I kept coming back to me was that this episode is thinking man's squee or thinking person like, squee. squee the Yon, Yonan Vasquez comic no no, uh, no, no not not the comic book someone put shit in my pants um <laughs> not that um but rather the uh you know the, the it, you know squee being sort of like fan stuff that's like oh I, I love when Willow and Buffy are friends yeah. and they hug and it makes me feel good <laughs> Uh, I feel like this episode is like that in that it's actually just about the characters. I don't think there's actually a ton to take out of this episode that's about real life. It's really about these characters. And it's it's like, and if to the extent to which you care about and connect with the characters is the extent to which you'll care about and connect with their dreams, I think. And I just think that that's kind of cool. I'm just like totally on board with that at this point. Cool, man. So uh, John didn't ask about it. I would love to just drop some lucid dreaming knowledge from my research into lucid dreaming. Uh, for people that would like to, to play around with their own uh, real-life Buffy episode and maybe find their own lucid dream things. Lucid dreaming is, of course, when you're alert and wakeful in your dream and you have some control over the outcome. It's like the ideal outcome in a dream. You know, be able to fly or, you know, whatever you want to do in a dream. Uh, so I, it's partially about, you know, you have to just setting intentions, you know, of what you would like to dream about or what kind of, you know, what you want to play out. So before you dream, but also like just literally writing down the dreams after you have them. Uh, even if you don't remember, just writing, don't remember my dream, but just writing down that you, what your dreams are as soon as you wake up, as we know, like within a minute, they're gone. So you have to write them down right away. Um, but what I found that was really interesting is like, you kind of know when your lucid dream is going to come on because there's a sleep state that happens. So uh, there's, it's, I think it's the second sleep, right? So you fall asleep and then you wake up kind of middle night or in the morning. Um, 
the next time you fall asleep will be into the rest, the, the deep sleep where you can have a lucid dream. So that's when you would really set your intention. So if you fall asleep and then you wake up, um, you're kind of alert a little bit for like 10, 15 minutes, rather than looking at your phone or reading a book or whatever it is you do, that's a good time to get up, have some water and set intentions for your lucid dream. And then you will, that is when you'll go into that state. And it's crazy how predictable that is. <clears throat> that's like second dream state. But uh, that, that was what I found. So the, I got this stuff from, um, there's a book that I, that I read from the 90s called uh, Exploring the World of Lucid Dreaming. Um, and of course, that book is interesting because it's also pushing this technology, which I haven't invested in, which I'd love to, these uh, lucid dreaming um, aids, these uh, lucid dreaming uh, masks that are now somewhat popular. I've seen them on Indiegogo and stuff. They're about 90 bucks to $300. Uh, but supposedly this is a system where when you're in a lucid dream state or your deep REM state, it will flash lights. Uh, it'll be triggered in your eyes, which will wake you up or you, well, you've got to be training yourself for it, but you'll know that to be alert in the dream, which is the other problem. So yes, inducing a lucid dream, but then not only, so you know when you're going to have it and then being alert. So having a trigger that lets you know it's a dream and that's like, that's unique to every person. So that's where you got to read the book and figure out what your triggers are for the types of dreams you have. So you recognize your own dream logic. And I love the way that that book um, exploring uh, the world of lucid dreaming actually like itemizes all of the different types of ways that you might recognize you're in a dream, whether that's like you're talking to persons that you're, that are, you know, that are dead or you would never talk to, or you're in places that were, you know, that you've never been to or like stuff looks funny or you can trying to read text, just like all the things that induce uh, that are, that are not like the real world. Anyway, so that's my dream speech. That's cool. I'd love to talk about it a little more, but why don't we end the episode? (laughs) Uh, Yeah. So we'll, uh, I've been your host, Dennis St. John, you know, do everything you do with podcasts, but for us, please. (laughs) And we'll see you in your dreams.